Welcome to the First Century Church Podcast. My name is Stephen Wilhoy, and I'm the lead pastor at First Century Church, and it is an honor to have you with us today. The goal of the podcast is simple. We want you to be encouraged, challenged, and inspired to go further in your faith than ever before. If you'd like more information about the church, you can visit our website, firstcenturykc.com. And if you happen to be in the Kansas City area anytime soon, we'd love to have you join us for one of our live gatherings to connect with you in person. Again, thanks for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. Tomorrow's Valentine's Day, so guys, you've been warned. (laughs) Okay, gentlemen, you have no excuse. Tomorrow's Valentine's Day. And uh, so today we're going to be looking at a, huh? Oh, I'm way ahead of the game. Yeah, I've already got that way ahead. Uh, so we are continuing our journey through the Bible this year, and today we're going to talk about a love story of sorts in the Bible. And we're going to look at the book of Ruth. It's one of only two books in the Bible named, named after a woman, strictly about a woman, and we're going to look at Ruth. Now, there is some possible romantic love going on here that it may or may not be what it seems, but really what this is is about uh, love for God, uh, love for friends, love for family. It's a story of loyalty, a story of kindness, and really what we're going to see today is this is a story all about decisions. One decision builds upon another that leads to another that leads to a certain outcome. And I'll be honest, I had a hard time kind of prepping for this because I preached through this book before several years ago, and I've mentioned parts of it a lot and the theme of it even fairly recently. And so I thought, well, how how are we going to frame this? So here's how we're going to do it. We're going to work through this entire, it's just four chapters. You could sit down and read this in easily 25 minutes. No no problem. But we're going to work through the story. So if you don't know the story, there are going to be spoilers. I'm going to tell how the story ends. So you'll be be surprised, but go ahead and read it anyway when it comes time to read that in your reading plan. But we're going to look today at the power of a decision. That's the main idea today, the power of a decision. Because again, the book of Ruth is one decision after another that leads to another that leads to a powerful result. And what I want us to see here is I want us to see how our decisions can lead to powerful results. The power of decisions in our own lives and the potential power that we have through them. So the story of Ruth actually begins with a different woman named Naomi. And they are falling on hard times. So Naomi and her husband and their two sons, they live in Israel. They're Israelites. But there's a famine that breaks out in Israel. And so they make a decision uh, to leave Israel and go to the neighboring country of Moab. So now Israel and Moab don't really get along. They're sort of, you know, I guess you'd maybe say they're kind of in a cold war at this point. Uh, They're not super friendly neighbors, but they're not breaking out in war all the time. Now they have and they will, but not at this point. And next week we'll be in the book of Judges. So this is a period of time where different leaders rise up and lead the country of Israel. They're called Judges. This story of Ruth happens in that time frame. So even though we're flipping the order of them in your Bible, uh, it fits and it works because it's in the same time frame. So after uh, Naomi and her husband and the sons live in Moab for a while, her, her husband dies. And so she still has her two sons. And so after a period of sadness, they both marry women from Moab. One is named Orpah, not Oprah, okay, Orpah, and the other one is Ruth. These are women from Moab that these young men from Israel marry while they're living in Moab. They're married for about 10 years, and then both of her sons, we don't know how or why, but both of her sons then die. So now Naomi and her two daughters-in-law, they have a problem. They have a real issue on their hands because in that culture, 
being women, they can't just go out and get a job. They rely upon the men in their lives to provide for them. So they have very few options. Hope is really not there at all. And so they're kind of stuck here. So we see the first main decision that we'll look at today. We're going to look at several of them. So I'm going to kind of motor through quite a few things without taking a lot of time. But we're going to see a lot of decisions made. So the first main decision is what I would call a prudent decision. That's the first type of decision that is made here. So we're going to be in Ruth chapter 1, starting at verse number 6. So here's the first prudent decision that Naomi makes. It says, Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. Now, the thing about this prudent decision is that it wasn't necessarily an easy decision to make. Now, on some level, it was like, this is where I'm from. I'm going back home. Things are now prosperous. It's a good time to move. But she has no men to help her move. She's got, she, there's no U-Haul she can call and say, can you help me, right? It's her and her two daughters-in-law that are trying to get everything together and travel by themselves across, you know, country lines back to Israel. It is not an easy decision to make. It wasn't an easy journey for them to make, but it was a, still a prudent decision. So they set back off to Israel, but along the way, uh, she realizes something. Naomi does. And so let's keep reading chapter one, pick it up at verse eight here. It says, but on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back to your mother's homes and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your, hus- to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye and they all broke down and wept. So what Naomi realized is that this prudent decision for her may not be prudent for her daughters-in-law. So she has this realization they've already journeyed some distance. We don't know how far, how, how far away they are, how close they are to where they're. But she's like, wait a second. This makes sense for me. I'm going to go back home to where some maybe relatives are. Or my, my friends used to live and we'll see what's left. I don't know what's going to be there. But these girls, why, why would they travel to a foreign country? Why, they should just stay home, remarry, rebuild their lives, and everything will be just fine. So she realizes what's prudent for her may not be prudent for them. And what this does for her, again, we'll, we'll talk about prudence in just a second, more specifically to us. But what this decision, a prudent decision, does not always mean an easy one, and we see it here again. Her deciding to tell these girls to go back home makes it even more difficult for her. Now she's traveling completely alone. She has no one else to help her, no one else to you know, encourage her or you know, carry something when she can't, help her when she's tired, tell her, hey, you're going too hard, we got to take a break. She has nobody else with her, so she, but she still felt this was the prudent decision. I wonder what decision you might be facing in your life or decisions you might be facing. Let me encourage prudence in your decision making. Let me biblically encourage you to do that. Now, just quickly, I've been using this word. Maybe you're not sure. What does that mean? Is it about prunes or, you know, I don't, I don't know what it is. No, it's not. It's a, prudence is using reasoning, skill, judgment, and really risk assessment to make a decision. Okay? Reasoning, skill, judgment, and risk assessment to make a decision. So even in the New Testament, when it comes to being a follower of Jesus, Jesus tells us to use prudence in making that ultimate decision. He says, count the cost. He says, it may not always be easy to follow me, but it's the prudent decision to make. So you have to think about what it may cost you to do that. Make a pros and cons list, think it through, uh, have some awareness of your situation, and use wisdom in making that. And again, like we see with Naomi and Ruth here, it's not always the easiest decision. 
So we can't just say, well, this is what I would like to do, so that must be the prudent thing to do. No, not necessarily. Or this is the obvious choice. It must be the prudent thing to do. Not, not always. When you think through the other options that you might have, there might be a better option that may be more difficult, maybe a longer process, might be more painful in some ways, but it's what we want to do. We want to choose um, the best decision over the easiest decision. And there's power in making prudent decisions, and we'll see why as the story unfolds. Now, here's where Ruth really gets involved in the story. So now we're going to see the second decision that now Ruth makes is we're going to call a loyal decision. So again, in chapter one, the ladies are walking uh, through the desert here. Naomi says to the girls, go back home. Here's what happens. Ruth one, verse 16. Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. This is loyalty. I've actually used this passage in a wedding before because it sounds a lot like a wedding vow, doesn't it? Right? Where you go, I will go. Where you live, I will live. Your people are my people. Your God, my God. Ruth was willing to start a brand new life for the sake of her mother-in-law. And it's not a small thing. So go, let's culturally, this is not a small thing. Ruth is from Moab. She serves the gods of Moab. She lives the life of a Moabite. She is not an Israelite. She does not serve the God of Israel, but she is willing to say, I'm going to shift everything in my life for your sake. That's loyalty. I'm willing to shake up everything I've ever known and grown up with and am accustomed to and I'm comfortable with for the sake of someone else. That's loyalty. So we learn here that Ruth is loyal. We also learn sort of subversively that she's a bit stubborn. At the end of that verse that we just read, verse 18, it says, when Naomi heard Ruth saying these things, she said, I'm not even going to argue. I know it's not worth it. I know I'm not going to change your mind. She is set. She is stubborn. She is committed. And I'm just not even going to bother with it. So there's a stubborn streak we see here maybe with Ruth. But loyalty, I think there's stubbornness in loyalty. It's this idea, I'm going to stick with you, stick by you, not quit. You know, I'm not going to flake out. I'm not going to run away. I'm going to remain loyal. And I wonder today who we can be loyal to. I wonder today who maybe you can be loyal to. Maybe there's a coworker that you work with, and they always mess everything up. And they're always the butt of everybody else's jokes. Maybe you have to do their stuff, and you do it begrudgingly. Maybe we can be loyal to them, put our arm around them, befriend them, encourage them instead of, you know, laughing with everybody else about how terrible they are, how, man, I hope they get fired. No. What, if we, what if we could change their life? What if we could change their career trajectory just by being loyal to someone that we otherwise maybe wouldn't? What if we take that extra time to maybe point out things, why they're doing certain things wrong all the time and helping them to get better? You know, it's obviously going to have the effect I don't have to do their work for them, but also it's going to help them in the long run. Maybe it's someone like that. Maybe there's sort of this person in your family. Maybe they're, they're the black sheep of the family, and they're kind of ostracized and pushed to the margins, and they're not really invited to family gatherings. Maybe you can be loyal to that person. And this is not easy. Like, the closer we get into our relational circles, the harder loyalty is. But it's, that can also make it even that much more powerful. What if we can really try to understand that person? 
who's pushed off to the margins? What if we can offer assistance to them if they need it? What if we can just tell them, hey, I believe in you, and we can figure this out? We can work through our differences. It's going to be messy, and it's going to hurt, and there are going to be things said that we're not going to like all the time, but I want to remain loyal to you. There's power in loyal decisions. There's power in that. Again, what if you change that coworker's career? What if you can bring healing to your family by remaining loyal to that person that's kind of been pushed aside? There's power in a loyal decision. So Ruth and Naomi, they make it to Israel, and they sort of set up camp, but they still have the same issue. They can't just go out and start their own business in Israel. Right? They, they have very limited possibility, very limited options in what they can do in the current place and time in their culture in which they live. But they have to survive, right? They have to eat to survive. And so now the next decision that we see made is Ruth makes a, what I'm going to call a lucky decision. Ruth makes a lucky decision. This is Ruth chapter 2 now, verse 2. One day, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. Naomi replied, All right, my daughter, go ahead. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters, and as it happened, luckily enough, right, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. So as we, as we move on in the story, we'll see more specifically why this is such a lucky decision. But you can kind of already see in the text how this is building up. She just so happens to say on a certain day, I'm going to go to whatever field I can find and try to survive there, try to glean enough grain for us to kind of not die. So she just happens on the right day to happen to go to the right field. And on that day, the owner of the field, though, just happens to stop by. A lot of just so happens here, just so happening back to back to back. I wonder if you've ever had those moments before. Things just sort of worked out. The stars just happened to align. I can't believe that this coincidence happened after that one. I wonder, though, when those things happen, especially as people of faith, if we were lucky or if we were led. That's why I have lucky in quotations. I wonder if maybe those coincidences are not so coincidental. I wonder if instead of being lucky, we were being led. Psalm 37, verse 23 says, The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Sometimes we can read a verse, especially the second half of that verse, and say, well, I don't want God involved in all the details of my life. Like, I want to have some say, and I want to have control. But no, this is like a promise. This is like a big deal. This is what, like, the, the creator of the universe is interested in you. He's interested in your life. He's invested in your decision-making. He delights in that. He directs our steps and delights in the details of our lives. That's why a life of faith committed to following him is so powerful because we can have these sort of lucky moments where you hear no, 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 and all of a sudden, just at the right time, in the right place, you hear a big fat yes, okay? Let me give you an example of this. So when Kim and I moved here, it'll be, what, nine years ago, right? This May, nine years ago. Uh, to start the church, we had very little plan, very little idea of what we were doing long-term, and even short-term, we had just barely found housing before moving here and had no jobs, which I don't recommend that uh, in that order, <laughs> but that's what we did. And so we're both looking for employment. We're in a Ruth and Naomi said, we got to eat, we got to survive, we have children, you know. 
And so we're both looking for jobs, and she found this opportunity at this bank downtown. She was so excited about it. It was a cool bank, and it was going to pay really well, and she was going to have an interview. It was going to be great. And then she finds out she did not get this job. But even before that, there's another lucky sort of thing that just so happened to happen. So before we moved here from Texas, she had just started a job at a bank. Never been in a banker before, never worked at a bank before. And so she gets a job in January. Like basically a month later, God tells us we're moving. So it's like, what? wait, what is, why would I get this job? Why would Kim get this job uh, literally a month before we're deciding to move? And she's there for like four months and we're out. What's the deal? But then it leads her to be thinking about, oh, I'm going to maybe go in this field. So when she's looking for a job, she looks at this bank but doesn't get the job. And it's devastating. Like big, it was a big blow to the gut. So it just so happened that like the next weekend or soon after, she runs into Amanda Spear. You guys know and love Amanda, right? She says, hey, we're just happening at Community America Credit Union to be having a job fair this coming week. You should go. Just so happened that she ran into her. Just so happened that week that there's going to be this job fair. So she shows up and does like multiple interviews that day and basically has a job. I don't know if it was that day, but it was really soon after. She had a job at an amazing company that paid even more than what the other job she didn't get was going to pay. So why would she get a job right before we move? That was kind of a lucky coincidence, wasn't it? Why would she just happen to run into someone that had connections at this job fair? Why would she not get this other thing to then get to this? It's like so many coincidences. I don't think so. It wasn't that we were lucky. It's that we were being led. God wants to direct your path. He delights in every detail of your life. So it's not being lucky, it's being led. You can even ask this way, is it just that things work out in your favor, or is it that God is giving you favor? I, I think we can see it the second way. It's not just that things happen to work out in my favor, it's that God is leading me, directing me, giving me favor. There's power in us being led by God. Now, it doesn't mean you're going to live a perfect life, right? It doesn't mean you won't face difficulty. It doesn't mean you won't face setbacks. It doesn't mean you won't face disappointment. However, the point is that we're living a spirit-led life, and the power in that is that we're going where God wants us to go. We don't always see it that way. We can't always see it that way. That's why it's called walking by faith, not walking by sight. So even in those dark moments, in those desperate moments like Naomi and Ruth are, man, if we're being led by the Spirit, he will lead us to those lucky moments. He will direct us where he wants us to go because he delights in every detail of our lives. But now here's where the story of Ruth sort of, sort of starts to really heat up. We're building all this backstory to get to this moment. She's here on this field that is owned by a relative of her father-in-law, and he shows up and he sees this new face uh, gleaning in the field. We'll talk about gleaning a little bit later. So he sees her in the field, and he asks the, the, basically the manager, the foreman, hey, who is this? What's her story? He says, well, her name's Ruth, and she's actually the daughter-in-law of Naomi, who was your, relative, uh, your relative's widow. And she's come with her. She's traveled. She's moved with her from Moab to Israel. So Boaz is so moved by the loyal decision that Ruth made, that now he makes a generous decision. That's the next decision that is made here. Boaz makes a generous decision. So we're going to read a little bit of Ruth chapter 2 here. It's Ruth chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, and it says this. Boaz went over and said to Ruth, Listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when you gather the grain. Don't go to any other fields. Stay right behind the young women working in my field. See which part of the field they are harvesting, and then follow them. 
I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly, and when you are thirsty, help yourself to the water they have drawn from the well. So she works during the day, and then skip down to verse 14, Ruth 2, 14. At mealtime, Boaz called to her, come over here and help yourself to some food. You can dip your bread in the sour wine. So she sat with his harvesters, and Boaz gave her some roasted grain to eat. She ate all she wanted and still had some left over. When Ruth went back to work again, Boaz ordered his young men, let her gather grain right among the sheaves without stopping her, and pull out some heads of barley from the bundles and drop them on purpose for her. Let her pick them up and don't give her a hard time. So Ruth gathered barley there all day, and when she beat out the grain that evening, it filled an entire basket. So I mentioned this idea of gleaning. It's an Old Testament provision in the Old Testament law that would provide for widows or for the poor or for foreigners, all three of which Ruth checks the boxes. She is a poor widow and a foreigner. So this law would allow these types of people to glean in the field. So the, the law would allow, tell the, the landowner, hey, leave the corners of your fields and the edge of your fields open. Do not harvest those areas so that the poor, the widows, and the foreigner can come in and glean the fields. They can get the leftovers. He also mentions to his workers about, you know, dropping dropping the heads of grain on purpose because the, the law also permitted if your harvesters are gathering the grain and they drop any, they can't pick it up. They have to leave it for the cleaners to come and get, and that's not going to be very much, right? They're going to be doing their job efficiently and well. So the one thing I read was trying to live off of gleaning is the same as trying to survive off of recycling aluminum cans, okay? It's a hard life. You're not making any money. You're barely eking by. But the law provided for these types of things. But when Boaz heard about the kindness and loyalty of Ruth to Naomi, his relative, he reciprocated kindness and loyalty to her. He said, follow my workers. And uh, he let her eat lunch with them. He offers protection. Remember, he says, I told the men to not treat you roughly. It's like the first ever anti-sexual discrimination harassment workplace rule, okay? He is the first HR head in the history of the world right here. Uh, he tells the workers to be inefficient. Hey, if you just want to drop some stalks of grain once in a while, and oh, oh, oh no, you know, please do that, right? He, he shows her this kindness to this extended degree. And then she takes home this whole box of leftovers from lunch, and a whole basket worth of grain. We're talking several weeks worth is what most scholars would tell us, weeks worth of grain in one, in one day. So this generosity will set the tone for what's going to happen next, but this shows the power of generosity. This shows the power of generous decisions. When we're generous with others, it can change their outlook. It can change their situation. It can change and alter their life. And as far as the church, as far as we're concerned, that's one of our core values is generosity. So we aim to be the love of Jesus extended through our collective generosity to our community and to those that are in need. We want our generosity to bring hope to people. We want our generosity uh, to be a blessing. We want to live a life of blessing in order to be a blessing. That's what generosity is. And you never know what little thing someone might see as super generous. Like, you never know what little thing that you don't really think much of could change someone's life. So the encouragement here is let's be like Boaz and do all we can to help anyone we can in every way we can, as often as we can, to make generous 
decisions. There's power in a generous decision. But now we get to the next one. This is where things really, this is where the action really kicks in, okay? This is where the rating goes up to PG-13, okay? Chapter 3, we get a little hot and heavy here, okay? So Ruth now, after all of this, she decides she makes a risky decision. And Naomi's there with her too, but they make a risky decision. We're on Ruth chapter 3, verse 1. Let's read these verses here. It says, One day Naomi said to Ruth, My daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you so that you will be provided for. Boaz is a close relative of ours, and he's been very kind by letting you gather grain with his young women. Tonight he will be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Now do as I tell you. Take a bath. That's step one. That's a good step, right? Uh, Very romantic. Take a bath. Put on perfume and dress in your nicest clothes. Then go to the threshing floor, but don't let Boaz see you until he has finished eating and drinking. Then she says this, be sure to notice where he lies down, then go and uncover his feet and lie down there. He will then tell you what to do. Now, for the original readers, this is very PG-13. Like to the ancient Hebrews, ancient Jews reading this, they are starting to get really concerned at something bad, (laughs) inappropriate is about to happen. They're going to have to like you know, do this kind of thing. Is they, They're, they're going to have to, like, okay, mom, you have to read the rest of this story in the Torah because I can't, I don't know if I can do that. I get really, like, for us, like, what does this even mean? Uncovering his feet. We'll talk about that in a second. So Ruth and Naomi, make, they make a risky plan. There's a lot of risk involved here that we'll cover for here for just a minute. On the surface, it seems like maybe they're jumping to conclusions. They're, they're trying to go way too fast in this relationship. But actually, they're just connecting some cultural dots. So, again, it's not a coincidence that they just so happen, she happens to be working on a close relative's uh, field. That's not a coincidence. And his kindness to them doesn't go unnoticed. They're connecting some dots. And they're also desperate. So when you're desperate, you're going to maybe be more willing to take a risk than you would be otherwise. They're like, okay, this is our chance. This is our shot. Things seem to be working out perfectly here. Let's go for it and see what happens. So the reason that Ruth's earlier decision was so lucky is because since Boaz was a close relative of Naomi and her family, he would be what's called the kinsman redeemer. So when a woman uh, would become a widow, the next kin in line could then basically take her as another wife. Now, again, and it's not for like, oh, I love my sister-in-law. It's not, it's not anything like, it's more, that's how women would be, have been provided for in these ancient cultures. The next relative of the deceased would then take them in to care for them. It's a way of survival. And so uh, they had this plan. So Ruth follows the plan. She takes a bath. Good, that's a number one step, okay? The bath's good. She gets, you know, her little black dress on. She gets her perfume. She does her, she does her hair, you know? And she goes down to where Boaz is going to be asleep. So he's there by himself. This is a risky move that she's making, and we'll talk about why, for several reasons. So it says she uncovers his feet. Now let me just talk about that for a second. That is a very suggestive term in this story in the Hebrew. It is a very, it's a pretty suggestive idea here. It it could possibly mean more than that. We don't quite know. But again, the original reader reading this is like, oh, snap what is about to happen it's about you know it's about to go down yeah they're gonna get the fan out and they're whoo so she uncovers his feet and then lays down there with him so there's there's a lot of risk here so it's risky because she could be jeopardizing boaz's reputation this young single woman foreign woman coming down in the middle of the night you know 
uncovering him and laying down next to him. Yikes. Like if anybody finds out about this, it's not, he's not going to have a very good reputation. So not, that's a risk that she's taking on both of their parts. Uh, she could be reading the situation incorrectly. She, there's a risk there. Maybe this is not how we, it's working out how we thought. Oops, we made a mistake, but <laughs> this is really awkward now. So there's, there's some risk involved here. So possibly on a personal level, she could be facing rejection. It's a big risk. He has no, he, there's a requirement that he looks at this proposition in a certain way, but he's not required to say yes to this proposition. He's not required to say, when she's basically proposing to him, uh, he doesn't have to say yes. So she's facing possible rejection, embarrassment, shame. She could be deported back to where she came from, at, at least, if not losing her life for this. And now, if that happens, she's completely out of options. There's a lot of risk involved here. She's risking everything out of desperation to make these moves, make these decisions. However, spoiler alert, the risk pays off. So Boaz discovers, oh, there's someone here, you know? And so he gets up and he's like, who are you? What are you doing? And why is this happening? And then he re- it's Ruth and he's like, ah. So he's, putting, he's connecting the same dots that they've already connected. He's, ah, I, I see what's going on here. I see what you're doing. You and Naomi have been up to something. And he says, he basically accepts her proposal. So he says, yeah, let's, let's do this thing. This is awesome. So the risk pays off. But I wonder for us what risky decision we may be facing. What's the thing that you've been thinking about, pondering, worrying over because of the risk involved? What is that thing? Maybe it's a job change you've been considering. Maybe you've been made an offer and you're like, man, if I jump to this other place and I don't like it, what is that? What, how's that going to work? Maybe you're thinking about retirement and you're trying to do the math. I mean, if, I make a, if I make a move too soon and the economy tanks, boy, am I in trouble. Can I afford to make that decision? There's all kinds of risky decisions that we might be facing. Maybe it's moving forward in a relationship like Ruth. There's risk there. You can face the risk of being shut down and denied, and there's disappointment there. There's some embarrassment there. Maybe that's a risk. Maybe it's ending a relationship. That you, maybe it's not even romantic. Maybe it's a friendship. They're like, okay, this is not working. This is not, this, they're, they're a, maybe a negative influence in a terrible way. You're like, okay, we've got to, but there's a risk there. I don't want to offend this person, but I've got to look out for my best interest. So there's risk involved in relationships. Maybe there's a hard conversation that you need to have with someone, and I dread that more than almost anything else. I'll tell you what I do. If some, so do me a favor, guys. If you ever need to talk to me, can you give me like a hint of what it might be so I don't agonize over the, hey, pastor, I need to talk to you sometime this week. What, what have I done? What did I say? Oh, my goodness, are they going to leave? And, oh, you know, that, that is real, okay, people? So if you need to talk to me, you don't tell me everything. Just you can even let me know. It's not a, it's not a negative thing. I'm like, ooh, okay, I'll just be grateful to get there, okay? So that, that is a big deal. Maybe you have a conversation that you need to have with someone, and you're agonizing over that, and you're playing all these scenarios in your mind about how terrible that conversation's going to go. It can't go great. It can't go sweet. It's got to go terribly. So maybe that's, maybe you're like me in that. You don't want to offend them or hurt them, but you got to be honest with them. You got to tell them something. You got to come clean about something. There's always risk involved in some decisions that we make, and some are riskier than others. And with the risk involves these questions, these unknowns, these what ifs. And if we're not careful, we will allow those questions and unknowns and what ifs to keep us from making a decision that we need to make. Maybe you need to make a different career choice, but you're like, I don't want to do it. There's so much risk, and I'm going to stay here, and then you're miserable for the next 10 years. 
right? Maybe you wait too long to make a key decision, and there's some timing involved in that, and then you're like, you want to make it, and then it's the opportunity's gone. So we can't allow these questions, what ifs, unknowns to keep us from making a difficult, risky decision. So we want to be, we want to seek God, trust God, be led by God, and then go for it. So Boaz agrees to this plan, but there's one problem with the plan. The problem is Boaz says there is one other uh, person in our family that is closer in relation than I am. So I have to offer him this deal first. Now, can you imagine that? Like, they, they clearly have some sort of understanding, maybe even an attraction to each other. This is going to work out great. But now, of course, there's got to be a kink in the system here. There's got to be somebody. There's this love triangle. It's not really, but it's sort of, it sort of is, right? So he's got to offer this to him first. So Boaz makes what we're going to call a cunning decision. This is the last one we'll talk about, a cunning decision. So Boaz decides he's going to meet this relative in town the next day, and he's going to basically say, hey, there's some land that my relative, Naomi, now owns from her deceased husband. And so since you are the kinsman redeemer, you're the closest relative, you can redeem the land. You can take the land. Now, who's going to turn down free real estate, right? No one's going to turn that down. So the man says, yeah, sign me up. I'll do it for sure. But then Boaz makes a cunning decision. Here's what he does. Ruth chapter 4, verse 5. Then Boaz told him, of course... Your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth, the Moabite widow. That way she can have children who will carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family. Verse 6, then I can't redeem it, the family redeemer replied, because this might endanger my own estate. You redeem the land, I cannot. Boaz sees some ambiguity in the law and he takes advantage of it. He makes a cunning decision. Taking Ruth on as the wife with the land is not necessarily a requirement of the law. Now, he can take her in as a family member, but not really marry her. There's, again, there's some ambiguity to what is actually required in this sort of exchange. The land is the main part, and Boaz knows that, and so he adds Ruth on at the end to sort of complicate matters. He knows the, this guy's situation well enough. He's already obviously got uh, other children who are, who are waiting for his, their inheritance to be split up between them. So when Boaz introduces Ruth here and talks about them having children, that's going to complicate things. Because if Ruth and this family member have male children, then all of the land that he's now acquiring goes to that child upon his death. Furthermore, if they have male children, that is now split, splitting the estate he already owns into smaller pieces. So his own children are going to be negatively affected long term if he takes on this wife and they happen to have male children. So Boaz makes this cunning decision. He adds her in. And he also does a very interesting thing here. He makes sure to include the, uh, the information that she's a Moabite. Ruth, the foreign Moab, you know, this foreign Moabite woman, you know, uh, we don't know anything about her past or history. She could be any kind of person, right? We're just going to throw her in there and just see what happens. And the guy's like, ah, no, I'm out. I can't do that. I can't risk everything. So he's very cunning in what he does here. And the cunning plan works. So the relative declines and they marry each other and there's happily ever after. Now, this quickly, we'll move on to one last thing. But let me just say this. This kind of connects to the first part about prudence. So this cunning idea and this prudence are sort of connected. 
So what I want to encourage us to do in our decision-making is to, is to really think things through. We want to avoid sort of knee-jerk reactions and responses because those rarely work out well. I just on the fly decided to do this huge life change. Like, that rarely works out. So again, we want to count the cost. We want to make wise decisions, not be impulsive or impatient, but to be prudent and also cunning in our decision-making. So do you see the power of a decision here? There's power in the decisions that we make. Now, obviously, wrong decisions have dire outcomes, but right decisions, positive decisions, can change everything as well for the better. There's power in our decisions. One more thing, though, is that it's that this. That sometimes the power of our decision-making takes a while for us to notice that. It takes a while for us to see the real, true, lasting effect of our decisions. And we see that here with Ruth and Boaz and, and, and Naomi to a certain degree here. So the true, real, lasting, long-lasting power of all of these decisions isn't seen for really decades. And the real, true, deeper, deepest, lasting, powerful change doesn't occur for centuries. So this is Matthew chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. This is genealogy here. This is important. So here we go. Matthew 1, verse 5. Salmon, or salmon, I don't know if it's how you say that. The fish guy uh, was the father of Boaz, right, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. So all these decisions that are being made here by Naomi and Ruth and Boaz lead in a couple generations to the greatest king in their country's history. Okay? All these little decisions and risky decisions and prudent decisions and cunning, they, they all made a huge difference in the future and in the history of their country. But if you go down even more generations on down the line, Here's what we see. Verse 16 of Matthew chapter 1. Move on down. King David had Solomon, blah, 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 all the way. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. All of these decisions made by Naomi and Ruth and Boaz led to the birth of the Savior of the world. Not just the greatest king in their country's history, but the king of kings. Their decisions eventually, long term, they never saw that happen, led to the world being changed forever. There's power in our decisions. There's power in a decision. Now, sometimes that can cause us to be nervous, to think that, oh, wow, man, if I, you know, take the red pill or the blue pill, what is that going to do? How is that going to alter everything in the matrix? You know, how is that going to mess everything up? We can be scared or timid or maybe standoffish about, ooh, that. No, I want you to see this and be encouraged by it. As you walk in wisdom, as you let God lead you, as you walk in boldness and courage and exercise patience, you will see powerful change made through your decisions. Your decisions matter. They have power. They have weight. They have influence. They can cause change. And so I believe that you and I and others around us can experience this power that starts with a simple decision. 